So today is uh, called Prayer Directives. Not necessarily an exciting title. I usually have, like to have more exciting titles than that. <laughs> but this is really coming out of our 24 hours of prayer that we did here a couple of weeks ago. And uh, as, we, as we were in that, it's just amazing. Those that have participated, I'm always astounded. We did this two years in a row now. But it seemed like every hour that we would, re that we would restart the clock, you know, every hour, God would bring something new. And even though, you know, I was on a stretch for like six hours, every time he would finish up an hour and we would sit and listen to God, what he wanted that hour, he would, he would dish up something new. And it was just exciting to say, God, what's on your mind this hour? And then we would pr discuss that and pray that. So this is kind of a summary of what, uh, of coming out of that, uh, that time. And I wanted to just kick us off here, beginning with uh, Acts 13. And I had uh, normally turn to that, but uh, I got wrapped up in another scripture. But Acts 13 is about the early church, and it's um, they, they came together for a period of time of focused prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. And then out of that, the Lord spoke about what he wanted done. Let me just read it for you. It says, now in the church of Antioch, this is Acts 13, verse 1, now, out of the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and uh, Manon, who had been brought up with Terod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and set them off. Sent them off. All right. Um, maybe they set them off too. <laughs> but I, I, li I like this scripture because it said that when they came together and for a focused time of prayer and worship, that God had a plan he wanted to reveal. And he revealed that plan, and then they put it into action. And so today, as I went through the journal, every hour we would have the leader journal Basically, the highlights of what took, on, uh, took place during that, uh, that hour of time. So I went through, and I read it, and highlighted, and, and categorized, and I came up with, with four different categories, and then underneath those four different categories, bless you. Uh, if you're online, I can't hear you sneeze, then bless you, but I can hear you here in person. <laughs> and so I found four different categories, and uh, then under those categories, I have three different bullet points in that. So that's kind of how we're journey down through here today. The first thing that I, that I highlighted from our time of 24 hours of prayer is God's foundations. He wants to remind us about things that need to be in our foundations. Now, when I say these things, it doesn't mean that that's all the foundation. It's just the things that God reminded us of this time around. If we would do another 24 hours of prayer, he may remind us of two or three other foundations that are needed in our life. But these are, these are three things that I felt like were foundational that are important for us to remember. And the first one is this. When dark matter surface, we have a light that overcomes. Now, this is really key because we live in a day and time and where there's just a lot of exposures going on around the world and even in the church and, and, and people were found out that they're doing things, you know, under the table and in dark places and, and all of a sudden it's being discovered. And, and so sometimes we get to that place where we think, 
oh man, it, it's so dark. I don't even think God can move in that situation or on that person's life. And sometimes that kind of, that kind of can creep into our lives, such as that's just a hopeless situation. Just, just let it pass or, or, or some other way. But I don't think God can change it. I don't think he can move there. And we begin to have this desperation or, or kind of despair of, of it's impossible. You know, I, uh, I just uh, heard recently, there's, um, I, I'd heard it before, but count it up again. There's 195 nations, specific nations on the earth today. And 67 of those are going to be voting this year. 67 nations around the world are going to the poll to elect their leaders this year in 1924. Now that's amazing. In fact, those that are discovering that thinking that we've never seen a year like that in the past. And I don't know if it's going to be in the future, but that's amazing. What could happen if God's candidates would get into those nations as being leaders... Some of them we write off, you know, like Russia. We think, oh, that's just a done deal. It's not going to happen. Well, maybe it is or maybe it isn't. But if the church doesn't pray to believe that some of those oppressive regimes can be set free, then where is the hope? The hope's in the church as we pray. And sometimes we, we get disillusioned to think that those, those dark areas just can't be changed. I'm going to be in Psalm 139 here for... Um, a portion of of today and one in Psalm 139 really highlights several things as I'm going down through and one of these is this this idea that uh, the dark's just too dark for God to penetrate listen to uh, Psalm 139 verse 11 and 12 if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Wow, and that's amazing that God says that even what you consider dark, that I can't penetrate, I can. And that which you consider dark can be lightened by me. So we need to take hope this morning that God can move in any situation at all. Here's another scripture. This is out of Matthew 11, uh, 11 and 12. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they persecuted me. See, sometimes when we get in a situation where we're carrying the truth and we're getting ridiculed, in fact, we're getting falsely accused, that God says, now get a bigger picture. They did it to me first. So you're not alone. You're not, you're not carrying this burden. You're not, you're not the one that, that's having to, to you know, take all these, these insults and these charges alone when you're carrying the truth. No, they did it to me first. And the prophets as well. And so he wants us to understand that. The second thing under foundations is he wants to make sure that we enter the chamber room before the throne room. The chamber room before the throne room. I think this one came out about maybe between uh, one, uh, 2 and 3 in the morning. <laughs> so we were like, you know, staying awake and God, what do you want to say? And this word came out. 
I want you to be in the chamber room before we go into the throne room. Now, what's the difference? Well, some of you probably recognize the chamber room is a place of intimacy. It's a place of communion. It's a place where, where, where you're real and raw with God. You're working it out. David does that a lot in his Psalms. I mean, he's just, he's just really telling God what is truly in his heart. He's not being religious about it. He doesn't care what people think. He's just real and raw. And God says, I want you to come to the chamber room, and then when you go into the throne room, you're going to have a revelation, you're going to have direction, you're going to have, you're, you're going to have things that will, insights that will come to you like never before when you spend time in the chamber room before you come into the throne room. And I think that's a great word that, that we need to hear and be reminded of that's, that's foundational for us. In Psalm 139, verses 14 and 15, it reads, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Listen to this chamber room. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Wow. That's a very intimate place that God God dwells with us when we're being formed, when we're being conceived, when we're being created in our mother's womb. And God says that he was a part of that. And therefore, it's important for us to remember that we spend time in the chamber room before walking into the throne room. The third aspect of foundation that the Lord reminds us of is that when there is one heartbeat between us and God, God does marvelous things. When there's one heartbeat between us and God, God does marvelous things. And, of course, we would understand that when we get in the same heartbeat as, as, as another person. I know as one and I, we've been married now 36 years, and it's just uncanny sometimes the different things that she and I are thinking together, not having talked to one another about it. The other day, I was, uh, last week, uh, I texted her and I said, let's have steak for supper. She texts back, it's already out. Amen. It's marinating. I was like, yeah, that's my girl. You know, I was like, this one heartbeat thing. And you, you get that in unity with God. What can happen with his church comes into unity with him? One heart, one mind, one, one body. Wow. That, that could be amazing. He can do, do marvelous things about that. I'm going to read from Psalm 25, 8 through 12 in regards to that. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. You get that? Good and upright, therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. Wow, amazing. So those are some reminders of foundations that he has. The second category that I have is called reminders. It's things that he wants to remind us of that came out of the 24 hours of prayer. And the first one that popped out to me is we can, can't ever be where God is not. I know that's kind of cumbersome in the way I said it, but I think I did it on purpose. God, we can't be where God is not ever. It's just impossible. He's always there. I was uh, listening to some, some messages on healing, and, 
and uh, they were talking about sending people out into the, into the city or into the surrounding area and just praying for people that they discovered that were sick and needed healing. And so uh, the, the, the guy that taught, originally they went out and they had huge success. People were healed in the marketplace and everything. Well, he handed over to somebody else and they taught the next year and they went out and they didn't have as great a success. And they were like boggled in their mind. They're like, what happened? So they went back and talked to the original instructor and the original instructor said, well, tell me what you taught them and tell you how you got them. And so he heard kind of what he said. And he, was thinking, he said, oh, there's one thing you, you're, you're missing. Is that when you go out to pray with people that don't believe, you have to announce to them the kingdom of God is here. That's what Jesus told his disciples to go out and announce to people. The kingdom of God is here. And he said... They actually did that. They went out with unbelievers and announced, the kingdom of God is here, and I'm going to pray for you to be healed. And their healing shot up. They had more, more healings because they announced the kingdom of God is here. And so there's no place that he is not. And we have to remember that. Let me read for you in um, Psalm 139. Again, uh, really, really uh, highlights this. In uh, verses 7 through 12. I read, I read 11 and 12 a few minutes ago. But let's do 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go down to the heavens. Up to the heavens. You are there. If I make my bed in the depths. You are there. If I raise on the wings of the dawn. If I settle on the far side of the sea. Even there. Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Wow, isn't it amazing? There's no place that we can go that God's not. And we have to be reminded of that. Here's the next um, one under reminders. Is that when you acknowledge your failure, you grow in humility. When you acknowledge your failure, you grow in humility. Now the world says you acknowledge your failure and then you then label yourself as you could never do that again or you could never be successful. But that's not in a kingdom. Amen. When we acknowledge, I missed it, I didn't see it, I made the mistake. When we acknowledge that, we're actually coming into the umbrella of humility. Amen. And God loves people that are humble. In fact, he says in James, he says he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He actually covers people that walk in humility to say, I don't have it all together, but God does. And I know that he does. Therefore, if we, the sooner that we choose to go to God, the more that we're going to get clarity on this matter, rather than I have the answer and everybody comes to me, that's pride. But walk in humility is God has the answers. Let's go to him quickly and see what he has to say about this matter. And he wants to remind us about that. Again, in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, at the end of, end of the psalm, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So David, even at the end of this psalm, says, God, you have permission to come and search me. Because I'm sure I don't have it all together. I'm sure that I'm thinking faulty in some way about you and about others. Therefore, God, search me. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to offend others. Unless you're walking in the truth and the truth offends people. You're not offending people. The truth is offending people. Amen. So we have to make that clear as we walk through life. And so David recognizes, God, 
you have permission to come in and search me because I want to walk in the everlasting way. And so David walked in humility in that way. The third thing that I found in reminders, he's called the church to reveal mysteries to the world. He's called the church to reveal mysteries to the world. The world is so confused about what to do at different times. If you get in certain pockets, whether in business or whether in government, you will find that people do not have answers for the massive problems that are out there. And so what's the remedy for that? It's God's people. It's God's people put in those places. It's God's people. Uh, the, the, I understand that in the, in the uh, Board of Supervisors meeting this, meet, uh, this, this past uh, month, uh, this past week, that, that they were processing something, getting ready to vote on something, and two different people quoted Proverbs when they were deciding, when they were calling on the, the supervisors about what to vote. I think that's awesome. We need the Word of God in public places to guide us in the way that we should go. And so the church is the one that has been gifted by God to bring that which is a mystery in the world to bring light to it. That's what we've been called to do. And uh, Psalm 139, 17 and 18, it uh, reads, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast the sum of them! If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David says, man, the thoughts of God are just overwhelming. In fact, they're more than the grains of sand at the seashore. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot of thoughts that God has towards us and towards our situation and our world. And David says, man, God has a lot of thoughts that he wants to reveal to us. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, this is kind of where it, it zeroes in on this fact that we have the mysteries uh, to share. He, Paul writes, he says, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries of God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in the darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart at that at. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Sometimes I think that we live in a world where, where the world is pushing for exposures. It's like striving. It's pushing. It's waiting for the next uh, person or, 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 or a business to pounce on. And, and sometimes I think we as the church get in on that. We're like, oh, who's next? You know, we're kind of waiting around the bush. So we go, yeah, I thought so. But this, this verse says to wait upon the proper time. Let the Lord come in and do what he does because God's intent is not to just expose but to redeem. That's his intent. And so when we wait on his timing about something that we would love to expose, then his timing comes in and he does it in a way 
that redeems the situation if the person's ready for it. Sometimes they're not ready for it, but God's ready for it. That's his whole purpose of exposures. That it, and so I love what Paul writes here is he says that therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. And that's not talking about the second coming. It's talking about him coming and revealing what is needed. Number three in our 24 hours of prayer is our calling. Our calling. This may be individual and it may be as a church as well. But the first thing that I pulled out under our calling is that Christ is returning for a joyful bride. Hallelujah. He's returning for a joyful bride. The question is, are we joyful? That's the question. But that's what he's returning to. So he's, maybe he has some work to do. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's a very interesting statement. The bride has made herself ready. It's like the bride recognizes, I'm not ready to meet the bridegroom yet. Therefore, I've got to make ready. I've got to you know, do whatever is needed to, to the alterations and the, and the, the makeup and the man, you know, uh, Esther, before she was brought in to, to decide whether or not she would be king. She went through like a year of, uh, of treatments, beauty treatments, before she went in. I mean, that was like extensive. That's like, wow, that's amazing, until she went into the king. You know, how many years do we as a church need to prepare ourselves in preparation for the king coming? And, but God is returning for a joyful bride, and he wants to, again, this is our calling to step into that. Acts 3, 19, 21. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The time, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time has come for God to restore everything as he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. I'm not sure what happens to you, but what happens to me when God convicts me or has convicted me in the past. And I, I, I'm like, yes, God, I'm guilty. Yes, God, forgive me. And when I go through that, I get refreshed. I get energized. I get happy when, when, God, when I'm able to express something and, and share it and get free of it and get a new perspective of who I am and who God is and how he set me free. I get refreshed. And so that's a part of being a joyful bride, that the things that have stuck onto us from the world or maybe attached from uh, the generations or upbringing, that we recognize, wait a minute, that's a lie I'm believing and I'm living in that. No, I want the truth. I want to live the truth. And when we realize the lie we're believing, and, and then we, we root that out and replace it with the truth, that brings joy to our heart. And, and so, yeah, that's just a, a, amazing what happens. And sometimes, you know, the church is taught just, you know, you're a sinner and you're barely making it and you're not going to make it and you're going to struggle your whole life. That's not the gospel. That's religion. That's not the gospel. The gospel, when we get free, we, we, we stay free because we're amazingly in love with him. Here's the next one. When prodigals return, embrace them. When prodigals return, embrace them. And I don't believe this statement is about our own kids. This is about people that have been in the church sometime in, in, their, in, the, in their life. They've gotten away. They've tried what the world had to offer, and, and, and it isn't working. 
And so they suddenly remember, I remember way back in church, and maybe they had a bad experience, maybe they didn't. Like the sheep of the 99, it says he just wandered away. We don't know what the sheep was doing, but he just, he lost, he found himself disconnected from the other 99. He just wandered off someplace. I don't know what he was chasing or green grass or whatever, but he wandered off and he needed to be brought back. And so when the prodigals come back, and again, I'm this, I don't think this is about just our kids. It's about people that have wandered away, maybe because there was disharmony and disunity in the church, which I'll speak to next, or maybe they just got away from it. They moved. Maybe they got disconnected. But when they come back, God says, this is your calling. I want you to embrace them. I want you to embrace them. I want you to, to reach out and to, to make sure that they feel loved. A couple of passages here from Luke 12, 14. When Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so we'll repay, you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And in verse 23, the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I saw a survey recently where 30% of America is outside of church now. They've left church. But it's not for reasons that we would think, like church hurt or disillusioned or whatever. The biggest reasons why they're not in church is they moved. They moved. They still have their faith, but nobody's invited them to come. They just moved. That's all. They're sitting there, idle, waiting for somebody to invite them. They just moved to a new area, and, and they're trying to get established and keep up with everything and learn the area and the jobs and where to get their car fixed and all that kind of thing. And they just haven't gotten around or got invited to figure out church yet. Simple thing. They moved. That's not too hard to correct, is it? No. It requires, it, it, it calls for an invitation. And so then the next uh, calling, the final one here is a picture of unity. And uh, um, Paula was praying, and, and she saw this picture here. Um, Paula serves on our elder team. And she said she saw this picture of a river, and there were all kinds of boats on the river. There were rafts. There were just all kinds of different, different um, people floating on these, on these different boats and rafts. And, and I don't know if she mentioned inner tubes, but I can imagine there probably were. And they, they were just flowing with the current of the river. And then she noticed something peculiar about it. That nobody had life vests on. Nobody was wearing life vests on the river, on the rafts. And right away, when I heard that, it's like they didn't have any fear. Amen. See, a life vest is something man-made to prepare for a crisis that you don't know is going to happen. But they didn't have life vests on. Because they were living in a trust that their vessel that they were in was taking them in the right direction and the river provide the unity of where they were going. And even though there were different vessels, nobody was wearing life vests because that was man-made. And they were trusting in God and floating in the river in unity. Let me tell you, when the prodigals come back, one of the first things they will pick up is whether or not the church is in unity. 
They'll pick that up. They'll smell that when they walk in the door. Is this leadership? Are these people, are they in unity or are they not? They'll pick that up intuitively. And so it is a calling for us. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the beard, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down his collar. I tell you, if I would have given you a picture of unity, I wouldn't have picked that one. <laughs> I'm like, yuck. <laughs> you know, oil running down a beard, dropping off onto your clothes. You're like, really? So it must have meant something very powerful in those times when he wrote it, that that's a picture of unity. But what I do get from that is that unity flows down from the top, not up from the bottom. It flows down from the head of Jesus Christ into his church as we're connected to his body and we hear his voice and we move together in our, our, our vessel and get uh, on the river together. There will be unity. Amen. And fourth one is this. He's given us an invitation. He's given us an invitation. And this was mentioned four times during the course I wasn't in on all times it was mentioned. I think I, when I was present, it was like two times. But as I read the journal, this was mentioned four times. And that God's ready to do a new thing. He's ready to do a new thing. Now, before you jump and holler and yell, sometimes when we talk about God doing a new thing, we think that he's going to bulldoze down that which is and erect something totally brand new. And that's not what it means. That's not what it means. And, and so we'll kind of walk down through a little bit what what God has in mind. But in uh, Isaiah 43, starting at verse 1, it begins to lead up to this idea of a new thing. And we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. But he starts out and he says in Isaiah 43, he says, uh, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who gave you birth and then gave you rebirth, that was Jacob. And then Jacob was actually his name was changed into Israel. And it says next, he says, He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, Israel. So Jacob was the person, but Israel was the nation. And so it's like we are individuals, but then we're a church together. And we're in this community. And so he's, he's taken us as individuals. He who created you, but then formed you. And when you think of being formed, you think of being massaged. You think of, of you know, pushing this way and that way and, and getting fit and placing this in. That there's a formation that goes on. And he certainly did that with Jacob's life after he became Israel and Israel's life. And then here's what God says next. After created and formed, he said, I have called you, summoned you, my name, you are mine. Wow, that's good to know, isn't it? That'll take the fear out of you. When, you. when you read that and dwell on that, I've called you by name, you are mine. You're not up for grabs anymore. And then he goes on to say, when you pass through the waters, current flowing, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, whether it be shallow or deep, you know, you, you cross a river, you're wondering in your mind, where's that pothole that's going to be in front of me that I'm going to go, uh, you know, over my head? <laughs> or you're walking out in the sea, into the ocean, and you're waiting, where does this shelf end <laughs> until it drops down? It says that when you're walking through the rivers, that he'll be with you. You want to worry about whether or not it's going to drop, the bottom's going to drop out, and you're going to drown. He 
because he's going to be with you. In fact, if you get out of the boat, he'll, and you start to panic, he'll pull you back in. He did that with Peter. He's an amazing God. He said, when you walk through the fire, which is trials and tribs, when you walk through there, you're not going to be burned. You're not going to get bitter. You're not going to get offended and carry that for the rest of your life. You're not going to be uh, wrapped up in disappointment. It's just not going to happen because he's not going to let it. That's his heart. You won't be burned. The flame will not set you ablaze. The enemy's plan for you won't, won't happen. It won't happen. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Wow, that's really good. And then verse 19, he gets to the new thing. He says, behold, I'm doing a new thing now. It springs up in front of you. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the desert streams and in the wasteland. The word new means fresh. That's what the word new means. It doesn't mean bulldoze the old and build something new. It means to Freshen up that which is already there. Bring freshness to it. That's what it means. And actually, if you go into the root word, it means to rebuild and repair. Rebuild and repair. So God says, I want to do a new thing. We had a kitchen remodel last year in a house, and we went all the way down. We went down to the studs. We took the ceiling out. We took, um, uh, yeah, some of the wall out. We took flooring out. I mean, everything. We went, we went down to the bare, and then we came in, and we put in everything new. And my contractor said that when you remodel something, that you actually make that which you remodeled new. It, it, is, it is actually, is, um, how do I say this? It is, it is actually newer than that which was there original. Because it's updated with, with um, you know, newer appliances or newer flooring or newer uh, uh, cabinets that you have. And so it's actually greater than that which you had original when you remodel. And it's certainly true in our case. So begin to think that way. That you, when you rebuild and remodel, you're not trying to get back to that which is original. You're actually building something that's going to be fresh and new that you've never seen before or walked in. That's what it means to, that God is doing a, a new thing. It says it springs up in front of you. Do you not perceive it? That word springs up means to sprout. Catch that picture, to sprout. When you plant something and it comes up, it's tender. It needs protection. It needs to be watched over because it's sprouting. You plant trees. Sometimes people will take strings and hook to the tree. You know, hook this way and that way and, and this way because it's young and it needs to be cared for. When the wind comes in, it'll blow it sideways. You go up, you know, you planted a new tree. You come out the next morning, wind blew, and it's halfway down. It's like 9 o'clock when you placed it at 12. And you're like, you had to pull it. And so they put strings around in order to take that sprout and to anchor it in. And then there's a time where that tree becomes strong in itself and you can take the strings off and uh, I mean it can rain and wind blow and storms come and it just stands straight because it's anchored well but not in the beginning it springs up before you so when you start something new when God starts something new watch over what he's doing and make sure that you don't just uh, again say, oh, take care of itself because when God does something new the enemy is right there to try to snuff it out. That's his plan, but God's plan is greater. Here's another one. Is that the new will look different, but good. 
The new will look different but good. This is a calling that we have. It will look different but good. Now we'll jump into Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. Uh, here it says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded from God. I, uh, I learned this recently. I thought, this is amazing. Someone just said the simple thing that com to complain is to remain. To complain is to remain. And the passage starts out, why do you complain, Jacob? So, complaining, it's really, really interesting, you know, why do we complain? It's, it's actually kind of automatic, isn't it? You don't have to decide to complain. <laughs> you decide not to. Uh, wow, to complain is to remain. Do you know you can't, you can't be in faith and complain at the same time? If you want to be in faith, you've got to stop complaining. And if you remain complaining, you never get in faith. Why do we complain? Because we want somebody to commiserate with us. It's really what we're doing here. So, he writes there and says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, you know, where's God? Where, where's he going to do here? And so, here's the answer to that. He says in verse 28 of 40, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He's going to infuse you. He's going to adjust things. He's going to prioritize things differently. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. That's in our own human ability. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Wow. That's amazing. That's God's answer to Israel. I mean, Jacob starting out complaining. He said, no, here's the answer that you need to be reminded of. This is your calling. Jesus said to do the work. Do his father's work was food to him. He actually enjoyed the work of ministry. Now, the work of ministry can tire us out physically. Jesus was tired in that setting. That's why he went to Jacob's well and rested while the disciples went in and got food. And yet he went on to say that sometimes that we look at things and situations and say, oh, that's down the road. Jesus said, it's not four more months and then the harvest. The harvest is ready now. People are ready to be invited now. People are ready to be set free now. People are ready to be delivered now. People are ready to be healed now. He said, it's not, not at a later date. It's now. And he said, there will be a time when the person that puts the seed in the ground and those harvesting, will, it'll be simultaneous. It'll like seed harvest, seed harvest, seed harvest. That's amazing. That's impossible. But God, he can do that. And so that's something we look forward to. And then finally, the last calling that uh, he invites us to step into is manifest healing in undeniable ways. I believe the Lord wants to increase. We had some last year, but I think the Lord wants to increase that this year. Manifest healing in undeniable ways. You know, the church has talked themselves out of healing more than talked themselves in. We have, we have basically created doctrine in the church at whole of why 
God won't heal or can't heal more than we have touted doctrine that God does heal and will heal. That's, that's prevalent out there. We've, we've come up with more exceptions than the fact that he does. And that's damaging. That's damaging in the church. And that's something, a calling that God wants us to correct and, and, uh, and move into. I'll just read two examples here coming out of Scripture. Mark 2, 11 and 12, he says, uh, Jesus says, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. That's how he got healed. And he got up and took up his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And then in Acts 3.10, the man that was um, at the temple gate since he was born begging. And James and Peter, Peter and John, that's it. They healed him by the power of Jesus. It says they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. I think we need some healings of wonder and amazement. Amen? Amen. I'm good with all the other things that happen and so forth. I'm good with pain leaving and, and stuff. I'm, I'm great with all that. But, you know, there's times that we, I think, need to step it up and say, Hey, God, let's have some undeniables. Let's send some undeniable for your glory, not for us. I can't heal anybody anyhow. The power of God is amazing. And we need to see it more. So I come to this conclusion. Number five is what section do you need to be renewed in? Do you need to be renewed in, in the, the, the section of foundations that you have kind of the thinking has crept in that God can never penetrate that or change that heart or, or, or change the situation? Have you come to that way of thinking. You need to dispel that. Just like we did at the beginning of the service of, of just dispelling fear and trust. Have you realized that uh, you've been going to the throne room and you need to spend some time in the chamber room being with God? It's awkward. When I started spending time in the chamber room with God, it was awkward. Now I love it. I probably spend more time in the chamber room than the throne room now. Because it's so good in the chamber sitting there listening and talking and, and, and doing two-way journaling that I've started up again. Yeah. It's just amazing what God speaks when we sit in the chamber room and just get acquainted with Him. And then go into the throne room and proclaim and declare and get revelation and direction. Wow. Yeah. Do you need to be renewed in that? One heart. One heartbeat between us and God. Renewed in that. How about Reminders. There's no place you can't go or place you can't be that God's presence is not. You need to be reminded of that one. When you admit your failures, you're actually inviting humility to come and cloak you even more. Mysteries. Things that people can't figure out in this world. God has given us the mind of Christ that we can seek Him and come up with answers for those that are in mystery about it. Do you want to be a good steward of that? Calling. He's coming back for a joyful bride. Let's practice now. Let's practice now. Amen? The prodigals are going to come back. Are we ready to embrace them? Unity. 
unity is so key. It comes from the head down, not the bottom up. Invitation. He's going to do a new thing. He wants to do a new thing. It's an invitation for us. Again, not like we think, like bulldoze it all down, but he's going to tweak and he's going to change and he's going to adjust. And it's, It might be something small, but it'll have huge dividends throughout the year and throughout our lives as we pay attention. It might look different. And sometimes when things look different, the initial thing we want to do is complain. Why don't we? But, you know, God's doing a new thing, and we know it's God. Let's jump on board with it. I was with a group of pastors recently, and they're doing a new thing in their church, and some of the old guard is grumbling about it. And one of the pastors said, well, just tell the person that's grumbling about it they can be a part of a new church plant, and they don't have to leave the building. <laughs> thought, that was a good answer. <laughs> you can be a part of something new and come back to the same place. <laughs> yeah. Healing. Jump into healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, just allowing us to not just pray and walk away, but to pray and meditate upon that which you spoke during our 24 hours of prayer, Lord. And I pray that you would lead us through this year, that it wouldn't be the only time there would be other times just like in the book of Acts, that they set themselves apart to pray and seek you because they knew that you wanted to do a new thing to send out Paul and Barnabas. But they didn't know who and they didn't know when and they didn't know if now was the time. But Lord, because they set that time apart, you spoke and you said, now's the time to set out Paul and Barnabas into their first mission. And so, Lord, we take seriously the things that you've spoken here and we ask you, Father, to come now personally and renew us in what is needed in one of these four areas. And I'm just going to ask you a question. If one of these things that you spoke, you realize, you know, that's probably me. I need to be renewed in that or reminded of that. Or I need to walk into that. Or I need to adjust that. Or I need to pay attention to that. Was there one thing that the Holy Spirit spoke to you today through the message that you say, that's me. I, I want to I step into that. Just let me see your hand. Really, not, not for me to see, but for God to see. You know, just one thing. Really, if you, if you concentrate on one thing, there's other things that will change because of that one thing. When it's a God thing. When it's a God thing and you concentrate on that one thing, other things will change because you've decided to obey the one thing. And as a result of that, God will change other things. It's amazing. That's how he works. Father, I pray for those that you spoke to this morning. And I pray, God, that you would just come and just reinforce, strengthen, Lord, where we've grown weary. Lord, begin to energize us again. Where we've grown weak, God, infuse us with your power again. God, where we've uh, got to the end of ourselves, Lord, and wanted to give up, Lord, we pray that you would show up again and say, I am here. I want to do a new thing in and through your life. Continue to call upon me until you see the breakthrough. Lord, let us be refreshed this morning from your word in our time of prayer that we may see you as you really are and hear you of the things that you truly want to do. God, we're grateful to know you. And if there's anyone here that says, I don't know Jesus like I sense in this room, but I would like to start. In a few moments, there's going to be folks that will be lined up here and they want to pray with you. And if you want to come and start your relationship with Jesus, just come on up.
and pray with any of these folks to say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus this morning and experience what I see happening going on around this place. And they'll get you started in that. It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing to get that settled in our life. There's so much peace when you have that settled. You don't walk in, in the fear of other people, of what could happen or what will happen or what might happen, or even when it does happen, how you're going to get out. Because you now have the Prince of Peace living within you. And that's Jesus. Amen.